0: Hey everyone, you're listening to The Real Deal. This is the first podcast that'll go out to the world. I'm here with my friend, Jeremy. Thanks for joining me. How's it going? Pretty good. I'm glad you could make it. Um, Today, I wanted to talk about your story, um, basically overcoming, I guess overcoming addiction. You never word it that way, but... your story was so fascinating to me when you told me about it what was that like 2 years ago
1: um it's been almost 2 years since i got sober i got sober in uh september 9th of 2016
0: right right and i think we met i uh, we met after that and you told me the story and i didn't even know i didn't know that any of that had happened mhm and, um, I mean, you and I are friends, but I think because we're childhood best friends that it's like, we always know we're going to be in each other's lives, but there's never the constant checking in. Right. Um, but you've kind of changed on that a little bit. <laughs> Not that that's a one way street. That's a total two way street. Right. So like, right. I need to be better about that. But, um, it, it was a really cool story. So if you wouldn't mind, can you take us back to... I guess was September 9th the day that you went to the hospital or
1: yeah it was. So um, I had uh, I started drinking when I was probably uh, I would say really drinking when I was about 13 or 14. and um, at that point it was still like a weekend yeah you know, Friday, Saturday um, I would drink and then like Sunday and Monday I'd kind of recover and yeah. go through my week fine.
0: Is it, like, Uh, parties? Were you, like, going to parties as a 13-year-old?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Um, Just kind of had older friends, stuff like that. And I mean, still not even 21, but, like, I had friends that were in their, you know, 1920s and stuff like that. And um, So I'd go drink with them on the weekends, and um, that's kind of how I got started. And then, you know, progressively, by the time I was 16, I had a liquor store that I could walk into. And um, so... At that point, like I was it got in high school to the point where I would drink like almost every day, but not um not excessively really. Yeah, you Um, didn't
0: think it'd be anything of it.
1: Right. Not excessively on a day to day basis, I guess. Like, you know, I'd drink three, four beers on a weekday and um go on with life. So then progressively that kind of got kept going on that train down to uh down to when I went to the hospital. And so prior to going to the hospital, um, my week looked pretty much like average day was i would drink 10 to 12 pints um which is like 16 canned beers um mm-hmm. and i would mix in kind of whatever liquor i had around at the time uh, so the week before i went into the hospital um i was i had like a five-day weekend i can't even remember why i think it was a holiday or something and um took fast a couple-
0: forward to 20 you're 23 at this point
1: 23 yeah and um so i um uh, the week prior to going in i'm um i'm just kind of on a bender for lack of a better term uh i got like completely blacked out for almost a week straight and uh so um Well, I guess fast forward to when I finally wake up. Um, (laughs) Because you don't know. I shouldn't laugh at that. (laughs) So uh, I wake up and so I had a I was living in a house on 53rd Street downtown and I had a kind of like an upstairs loft that I was running out and uh, it was basically a converted attic. So like the sides had these little closets that are only, you know, maybe three feet high because they were on the side of the attic. Right. Um. So I woke up laying inside of one of those closets, and uh, when I woke up, I couldn't walk and had, um, and I don't, I don't mean that like I was still drunk and couldn't, you know, I was stumbling around. I meant like my legs didn't work, kind of thing. Yeah. Um. So, um, uh, I realized that you know, it kind of hit me like, oh my god, I'm really, really hungry. <laughs> I probably haven't eaten in days because. When yeah. when you drink, you can kind of forget and skip meals and, mm-hmm. um, you know, beer has a lot of calories. Right. Like you can kind of survive for a little bit and not realize that you're not eating. Um, so I didn't feel like eating though. So uh, <laughs> I found um, a couple beers that had been left around kind of like near me and then uh, there, was, uh, there was a couple bottles of liquor. I couldn't remember... I think there was one in there and then there was some that I'll get to later. But um where
0: was where was because you had a girlfriend at the time. Where was she?
1: Uh she was actually in Ireland. Okay. Um, actually she I was... think she was on her way back from Ireland, actually. Gotcha. Um at yeah, at this time. And um yeah, anyway, she she, she was not there. there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had roommates that <laughs> apparently had tried to find me and I just was hidden. <laughs> <laughs> you so, kind of in that same vein, like apparently I had parked my car like three blocks over and uh, walked back in. And um, so that's what I did. When I got up, I found a few beers, um, kind of choked down what I could, took a couple shots just to like get to where I could um, kind of it. think straight and function again. Cause at that point, and uh, you know, there's that running joke about like you're afraid the cumulative hangover might actually kill you. And, like, I actually felt that way. <laughs> like, I yeah. felt like if I didn't get something in me that I was going to die. So, um, I drank, you know, a few beers, a couple shots, whatever. I could just, like, scrounge up right near me. And then, uh, at that point, I got to where I could kind of, like, crawl around and walk again. And so, yeah. I kind of crawled out onto my... Um, the patio that I had that kind of, like, came out of my second story. And um, whenever I did that, I... Uh, sat out there for a minute kind of caught my breath Hmm. Um, drank a little bit more again kind of what I could find like I think I had a cooler on the patio that I had a few beers left in so at this point I'm like oh man like people are gonna be looking for me like I don't even know where my phone is like I'm just I don't know what to do really and uh, like at that point um, I was sitting out on my patio and that was when I was just like man this is this isn't gonna work like I'm, I don't feel like I can stop drinking, but I can't keep drinking either, right? Because like something's gonna happen. Like uh, if I go on like this, there's no way health wise that I'm going to live through it, right? And so um, it was pretty much right then that I was like, all right, well my options are like go to the hospital or get a hold of somebody. And uh, I'm stubborn and <laughs> and <laughs> half drunk at this point, so I was like, well I'm. <laughs> gonna take myself to the hospital right so uh
0: (laughs) you didn't want to call anyone
1: right so uh from this like patio that i'm on i can see like i don't know where my car is Mm -hmm. and i was just like well i'm i gotta find my car to do this and uh i also realized at this point that um it was you know the ninth at this point Mm um i had been missing since like The third, four, something like that. And uh, so I also like it registered in my head. I have not paid rent and my roommates are definitely going to be pretty upset Uh, with me and be looking for me. Right. Because I'm paying like half of rent at this point, renting two bedrooms out of this four bedroom house.
0: Gotcha. Um, Where's your mom? Is she freaking out? Oh, yeah. Obviously she is. Yeah.
1: uh, My dad had come looking for me at one point. I know. um, I'm sure I... To be honest with you, I'll I'll get to that later. But like, I ended up just wiping everything on my phone before I read it because it was just like it wasn't gonna help me as far as recovery once I got to that stage. Right. Um. So.
0: You're looking for your car.
1: I'm looking for my car. Um, I ended up finding it. It was like three blocks over. Now I hop in there and take off down to the hospital. Um, drinking on the way because that's just like what I did at this point in my life. Like every time I got in my car, I drank. Yeah. Um. So I get down to the hospital, kind of comes and goes and flashes from there. Like basically, I remember pulling up to the hospital and I remember getting out of my car um, and taking uh, like a couple of swigs out of a bottle of tequila and being like, this is kind of the last time I'm going to be able to drink. (laughs) And uh, then I remember waking up asleep uh, in front of a car against the wall, like three cars over from mine Mm -hmm. and then woke up, came back over and was like, well, that didn't work. And like. slammed a beer and then fell asleep in my car and then woke up one more time and it was that point like I killed the last of the bottle of tequila and then kind of just like remember waking up in the hospital bathroom throwing up and then uh, I walked out of the bathroom talked to them and they checked me in and started pumping me full of fluids and and got me on a saline drip and all that so I would try to get a little bit more hydrated
0: right yeah you haven't had any water Mm-mm. in like five days
1: <laughs> not at all so uh, it was while I was there that they told me like all right here's your options like you pretty clearly have a drinking problem and um, you know, my blood alcohol level was I don't remember the number but it was one of those things where it was like nobody should have a BAC this high like right you're <laughs> you're in you're in pretty deep. And uh, so they recommended that I go to a psych ward for detox. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically, there they could medicate, make sure that I was like safe. And
0: because it's all because is the psych ward basically like a like a we can't keep you in the hospital because we can we like getting you off of this isn't going like that the the hospital isn't the place for that,
1: right? That's basically what they were. How they treated it. Uh, the main thing is like they have constant supervision and like
0: right? Okay. Um, they
1: have the medication there like they could give me the um, Ativan and stuff like that, which are um, their benzos kind of like Xanax or something like that. Right. But the reason they give them to you is so that you don't start having seizures while you're detoxing.
0: So okay. they could
1: give me those in a controlled environment and make sure that I wasn't going to have any serious health problems while that yeah. was happening. And then on top of that, I was having really, really bad anxiety and panic attacks this whole time. Yeah. Um for probably 3 years prior to me actually getting sober. Mhm. Um and so that was part of it too. Was they they wanted me to go there so they could deal with some of the mental health um gotcha. Also um <clears throat> I I forget about this part. Uh, I had started hearing voices like 6 months prior to me going into the hospital. Yeah. Um and they were kind of few and far between. Um I definitely not as much as like I've I know some people that are like schizophrenic and stuff and definitely not to that extent. Right. Um
0: What would they t- what would the voice say to
1: you? Um usually it was just like I couldn't usually make out anything they were saying. It was usually more of like a um kind of like people talking to each other in a background like in a different oh, room. Okay. And so I could like thought I would hear people and then I'd go to look and there would be nobody there. Gotcha. Um, could, could you
0: pick up on conversation or you just you couldn't pick out what they were saying, but you're right. like, whoa, what's, what's going on?
1: The The most common things where it sounded like people talking and music being played in a room next to me. And yeah. then I would go to look in that room and it wouldn't be there. And then I might hear it in another room and I'd go look there and it wouldn't be there. Yeah. Um, that was the most common of it. And so between all of these things, they, they decided that yeah. I should go um, go there. That was where they had the best setup to take care of all of the things at once. Mm-hmm. Um. So while I was there, they got me on, um, a couple medications. They tried to, um, put me on antidepressants, which have yet to work for me. Mm. Um, I've tried them three or four different times. They didn't work. Yeah. Um, they also put me on a antipsychotic for a few weeks that, um, it was basically to help with the, the noises, voices and stuff like that. Um, so they did that so i'm spending um this is like the ninth tenth somewhere in there at this point i'm still pretty blacked out because they like yeah was still fairly drunk and then on top of that like medication being piled on yeah um so around the ninth or tenth something like that i kind of like come to and start trying to reach out to people whose numbers i actually remember so like my mom my dad my brother yeah um then uh the next, like, big milestone, I guess, was um, the 14th was my birthday. Mm-hmm. And I was in the psych ward at the time. Um, uh, so, I remember that day in particular, because I remember talking to my dad. My dad was a big one. Um. Basically, I remember talking to him and just being like, you know, this is, I like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Like, I can't can't keep drinking and um you know i don't mean to talk down or belittle this lifestyle by any means but like my dad's side of the family is very like um very prone to drinking and yeah um it's just a that's kind of that fa- style of the family if you right. will yeah. um and so i remember talking to him and like i remember him being like oh, "You know i 100 percent support that do you think it's just like a oh, uh, I went too far and I need to back off this or is it like a, I need to do this for life kind of thing? Yeah. And I remember thinking like, no, I, I can't. Yeah. I can't go back to this at all. Right. And, uh
0: You don't even want to test the waters with it. Right,
1: yeah. Um. And, you know, later later on in AA, they even said it better than I could at the time, but it's basically like, um, at this point, I'm kind of sober and it's like, uh, I think, you know, maybe someday I could go back and drink and it wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't go down that path. But why would I ever test that? Like, right. like there's no reason for me to go back to that whenever I have like established this lifestyle of sobriety. Right. But that was getting getting further down the road. So I remember talking to my dad and just being like, "Can't do it." Yeah. Um. And so, like, uh, within the next you know few days, him and my mom and um the social worker that I was Mm -hmm. with also kind of sat down and the social workers like I think I think you should go to an in-house treatment um inpatient is what they're called um basically a 30-day like you go you stay there they have doctors lessons all this stuff to kind of give you a introduction into how to be sober Mm -hmm. um and at the time I was like there's no way like it's gonna you know even with i had pretty good insurance at the time and it was still gonna be like a few thousand dollars and right yeah um, how do you
0: afford how do you afford the hospital how do you afford any of that
1: right um so that's kind of what was going through my mind and um when mom and dad sat down with them they made it pretty clear like we'll do what we need to like let's just get you going there like sure um super supportive mm -hmm, absolutely so uh we picked one um it was one. It was one that I had heard of before. Um, I don't. Um, it, actually, my uh, one of my family members had been there prior. Mm. Um, so I knew. I knew of it. I knew it had a fairly good reputation. And I was pretty content. So yeah, familiar. Um, it was also one of the closer ones to Austin, which I liked because I was able to get my family there. Mm-hmm. So. Um. Once I picked that, I I left detox for one night. That was I spent seven days there. Went home for one night with my mom. Um, she drove me to the treatment center the next day. So at this point, I've turned twenty four. Yeah. While I was in detox, um, so I get to I get to treatment. Um, it's basically thirty days of you know you go through six or seven different meetings a day and then at night you go to an actual AA meeting um Hmm. and they they just kind of pound it into your head like I need to be doing this every single day um like even after I leave here I need to be going to a meeting every night regardless what I do during the day like that's what I need to do and uh
0: are you annoyed by and that might be like a weird question but I mean you sound like obviously you're you're open like you don't want to do this anymore so you're open to whatever it is the solution is but like you're not at all annoyed that like they're telling you you should you need to do this
1: um different people take it different ways and for me um when i got there one of the like key words or like hot words they use is willingness and so when i got there i was completely like all right like I can't do it on my own. I'm willing to try whatever you want to tell me to try. Gotcha. You're all in. Yeah, I I pretty much committed right from the get go. Like I'm gonna do what they tell me, how they tell me, even if I don't understand it. Like I'm just gonna do it and see how it plays out. Gotcha. Um, and a lot of that was, you know, harder to get around than some of the other parts. But Mm -hmm. um, going to a meeting every day for me was fairly easy. Like changing my religious views entirely was definitely different right um and that was kind of like uh getting into the 12-step program and all that and that definitely like changed my um perspective as yeah. far as how this was gonna happen because you know I, before I had ever been to an AA meeting I was just like oh they're gonna tell me like don't drink yeah don't drink they like support each other stay in the community and that is a big part of it but there's also like a spiritual lifestyle behind it which is yeah not what I was expecting at all
0: did were you aware of what the 12-step what the 12 steps were prior to doing this?
1: I wasn't at all. No, I, uh, I pretty much just went into treatment being like, you know, it'll teach me how to not drink, not teach me how to live a different lifestyle. Yeah. And Um, I
0: I think a lot of people think that mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know what the 12 steps are and what it entails.
1: Right. And, uh, so yeah, I mean that, that was a big, a big hurdle. Like I got into treatment and, um, the, you know, First things first, like they went into step one, which is basically just like I am an alcoholic, admitting it, saying like, okay, I'm going to do it, mm-hmm. and then right off the bat, step two is there's a higher power, and that's a big hurdle for a lot of people. Yeah, um, I spent you know a lot of time in my youth, like I was born and raised in the Baptist church. I was baptized as in the Baptist church. Yeah, and we uh, used to go
0: to church together. Yeah, <laughs> and uh
1: and you know, around eighth or ninth grade, I kind of fell out of that. And yeah, um. Kind of changed my whole view style as far as, like, I I had a problem with religion, not so much the spirituality as far as, like, the organization and monetization it. of it. Yeah. Um, you
0: you still believed in God, but just not
1: the um, church or questioned it. I believed that religion was good for people. I kind of fell out of believing in God for a pretty good while. Um, that later came back around, actually, while I was in treatment. Yeah. Um. And... Um, I had kind of stopped believing for a time, and um, just kind of got disenfranchised with the whole idea of religion. Sure. Yeah. Um, and you know, part of that's just being a teenager and you know wanting to be contrarian or whatever. Sure. But uh, anyway, that kind of again came full back full circle. While I was in treatment, I um, kind of had just had this realization of like. Um, one of my absolute favorite things about 12-step programs or AA or anything like that is this concept of, um, it isn't a god, it is your god, it is whatever you want it to be. You can believe anything you want, it's yeah. you know, the god of your, you know, choosing. And basically, I think the way they word it is, um, a god of your understanding or a god of, sure. you know.
0: But, but at the same time understanding that there is something bigger than you out in the world. Correct. Is, is the point.
1: Right. And uh, the main thing is that it's it's a power greater than yourself. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's incredible because that has such like a variety of things that it could possibly be. Mm-hmm. And for me, it kind of came in as a uh, um more of like a, I'm trying to think of the right word, but like a, a meaning behind everything, like a cause and effect, a sure. greater like ebb and flow of the universe, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but that can be as far on the spectrum as like I believe in, like the Christian God, mm-hmm. or it can be as far down on the spectrum as AA as a whole is more powerful than I am by myself.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. Totally.
1: And so, like a higher power, um, it's it's hard whenever you look at it and see it for the first time. It's like this big mental hurdle for a lot of people. Like, okay, yeah. I don't, I don't really believe in God or this other, you know, higher power or anything like that. But when somebody actually breaks it down and goes like you being in a meeting with other people is more powerful than you are by yourself. And right. it, it gets a little bit. How can bit, you deny that? Yeah. It gets, it gets a lot easier to swallow at that point. Um, so that was kind of a, uh, Again, like some big hurdles right there at the front. Like, yeah. okay, I am an alcoholic. I admitted it. And I was ready to do that before I even knew what the first step was. But right. um, for me, the next thing was like, all right, I came to understand my higher power, which you know is still evolving and forming. Like, Sure. Um, but it was more of a, like the willingness, like I said, like I'm definitely willing to believe that something led me to get into treatment. Yeah. Instead of me just like running this course that I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, you know, we go through meetings every day. We go through the the routine, kind of get into this set habit of doing things that are better for us. Um, and towards the end of treatment, you're working on your four step and four steps, a big one in the sense that it's, uh, it's one of the first difficult ones to actually go through all the way with. Yeah. Um, it's the first one that actually requires like time and effort. <laughs> the others are one through three. You can kind of just you know, I'm an alcoholic, I do believe that there is a God, and I do think that, like, I can get past this Mm -hmm. using the tools of my higher power. Right. And then you get to your fourth step, and it's, uh, you have to write down all of your resentments, all the times that you think that somebody has wronged you, um, all the things that you're afraid of, and you take all that, and then you you write out, like, how did I show up? What did I do? What did, how, why did I feel like this person wronged me? Like, what are all these things that, i'm holding back and allowing them to like cloud my judgment and think differently of people and then you as soon as you do all that you flip it and you go okay why did i why did i deserve that why did i play my part like this why did i
0: how am i involved
1: yeah how am i being like selfish and Mm self-centered at this point um so it's it's definitely uh one of the first ones that's actually tough because it's the first one time that you've got to like pull back and say, oh, you know, I think my best friend did this to me. Why am I holding this grudge from 12 years ago? You know? Right, right. And then at the same time, you also have to turn around and be like, I'm mad at, you know, for for an example, my mom calling me and checking on me all the time. Like it felt overbearing. Yeah. And then I take a look at it and it's like, oh, I'm an alcoholic and I'm in treatment. Like she had a pretty good reason to be calling and checking on me. <laughs> yeah. Um. So um you work on that towards the end of treatment Mm -hmm. and so moving on with the story a little bit like i i got to the end of my treatment and they suggested i move into sober living i knew i was gonna have to get out of my house like the house that i was living in downtown had a keg in the living room right wasn't conducive to the lifestyle i needed to be living Mm -hmm. um so i i agreed to that i moved into sober living um sober living was great like first basically like the rules were first 90 days i had to go to a meeting every day after that i had to go to um one meeting outside of the house and then two meetings in the house every week so it was like three three a week which was um you know like I said it was just great for me it also like they make you do chores every day and just gets you on some like really good routine daily habits yeah. um
0: kind of gets you back into into life a little bit
1: right absolutely yeah like it allowed me to um they they also have like curfews and stuff like that but it allowed me to get back and like get a job go to work you know pay my yeah. bills, do chores and go to meetings and like figure out how to put all that together yeah. in a lifestyle. Yeah. And... Yeah, how
0: do you mix the two? How do you conjoin the two when you've never lived a life like that before?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um I I got very fortunate like I had some family that was willing to um employ me mm-hmm. as soon as I got out of treatment. Um I had an uncle that has some land and had me just come out and start working for him. Right. Um kind of the same thing with a vehicle like I was fortunate enough to be able to um, get a vehicle and pay it off right after I, you know, start paying on it. Right. Right after I got out of treatment. Um and you know, I'm thankful for all of that. My um but um my next big thing, like as soon as I got into sober living, um they want you to find a sponsor, which is a big part of the twelve step program. Yeah. And um so it took me about a week or so, I think. Um, and then I, I found a guy that was actually chairing a meeting that I went to. I talked to him afterwards and he was like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm good for it. Let's try and meet up soon. And, that's awesome. um, so shortly after that, I met up with him and he was, he was a great sponsor. I mean, he was right off the bat, like, don't stop, just go, 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 go. And when you say, Hey, I'm going to have this done by Sunday, have it done by Sunday. Like, yeah. you know, don't, um, don't dwell in it don't kind of like waste time on it just get it done
0: you're meaning step four Um, all of
1: the steps but yeah i was working initially on my step four with him right
0: gotcha so he's
1: like don't dwell on it just kind of you know power through it get it done and then like Mm -hmm. just start knocking it out and don't let it uh don't let it don't dwell in it yeah and don't let it idle don't let it kind of hit the back burner and don't finish kind of thing um and so we did. I mean, we took off. I did my, the rest of my four step that I, he kind of wanted me to do a few changes and mm-hmm. add a few things in that I wasn't sure if they were right for it or not. Yeah. Um, and we knocked it out probably a week and a half later. Mm-hmm. Um, which moved into the fifth step, which is, uh, share it, share your four step with somebody else in confidentiality. And yeah. Um, so we did that and it was a, very relieving experience like being yeah. able to tell somebody all of these things that i'd kind of been like holding these grudges and all these things that i just like you know felt like i got slighted or wronged or mm-hmm. um getting all of that out and then especially like there's a lot of them where you end up saying oh well this person did this to me and like halfway through you telling the story you're like oh man i was kind of being kind of being a dick there right you <laughs> like see that was it. definitely on me it sounds Your a lot part. worse coming out of my mouth when i say it out loud you know right Um, so that was, uh, it was a very relieving experience. And then you go into six and seven, which are, um, kind of like looking at all of the things that you did in your fourth step. Um, and then like making the decision to let it all go and just say, all right, I'm done with that. I'm going to, I'm going to move move on. on. Mm -hmm. Um, and then from there you move into eight and eight is making the list of all the people that you've wronged that you need to make amends to. Uh. And um when I got there, I knew that was gonna be another big hurdle, kinda like starting the fourth step. Um when I got there, I was um I was fully committed, like I was ready to go. Um, but I knew it was gonna be kind of a, a tough one, especially going to um other people in my family that like not only had I kind of made them suffer from my own choices, but yeah. then like had already suffered because of other alcoholics choices that were in our family. Um, and I knew a lot of that was going to be really tough, like talking to them and going, you know, I, I, I went down this path. I'm trying to choose a better one now. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess a little bit of backstory, like my, um, my uncle passed away from addiction Mm -hmm. and, you know, related causes, but, um, it put a lot of stress on my mom's side of the family and, um, he was still fairly young i think he was right around 40 um so my mom and grandma and um, a lot of people on that side of the family were already affected by addiction um so i knew it was gonna be tough talking to them but i knew it was something that like i needed to do and i was ready to do it and um so i i made out my list kind of came up with all the people i needed to talk to and then went into step nine which is going and doing it yeah and uh Kind of just went like fast and heavy into it, like started meeting as many people as I could that were like in the immediate area. Um,
0: do they know? How do you get someone? So I'm in the middle of 12 step right now. Mm-hmm. That's, I don't want to do that. <laughs> that sounds so scary. How do you start that conversation of, hey, mom? let's talk (laughs) like how do you go about that that sounds terrible
1: yeah there's uh (laughs) there's not an easy way to do it um there's a it's for me it was kind of 50 50 like i'll be honest i had a little bit of uh an easier time getting into parts of it because people knew what was coming like um for instance with my mom was a little bit easier because it was like a um you know one of the earlier you know first two or three times that we'd really like sat down and had a chance to talk since i got out of treatment Mm -hmm. um and so like she kind of knew at some point we were gonna have a serious talk right um at least something beyond like oh hey this is what i did today (laughs) um so in that sense it was a little bit easier like at a certain point i finally got to be like hey look like I know I did all this. Um and from there, at least with family, it kind of like I think the word spread a little bit and was like, Right. Hey, he's going around talking to everybody right now. Gotcha. Um, so I think that made it a little bit easier. Like the first one or two kind of felt a little bit awkward and just like, all right, look, sit down. <laughs> I need yeah. to I need to get some stuff off my chest. But right. um, you know, I think I think the I think honestly, I had an easier time with family than I did with like um, some friends and stuff like that because it was harder to be like, look, I know this is weird, and like people my age, it almost felt more uncomfortable because it was just like, like with family, I was like, like I know we everybody knows, like I right. I was kind of in the wrong. I put a lot of stress on y'all. Like we kind of knew what the big things were. Yeah. Whereas with friends, it was like, um, you know, it was harder to kind of sit down and be like, eh, you know, it may not have been as direct and like. You know, I'm I'm trying to apologize for something that happened 10 years ago yeah. that I was just holding on to that, like, they were just like, oh, whatever. Like, right. <laughs> I completely forgot that happened. Right. And uh, so, you know, it's kind of 50-50. Some people were more like, you know, I, I support that. Like, I'm glad that you did that. Um, everything is fine. Some people were very much like, just kind of wanted to get it over with. Like, no, oh. yeah, it's fine. It's just like... We'll move on. Just don't right. worry about it. I'm just yeah. kind of trying to push towards ending the conversation. Yeah. And then you had one or two people that were like, like it, w- it wasn't okay. Like, yeah, you you wronged me, and they like, wanted to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, like it's it's not okay. Like you need to, you need to do something to fix this. And, um, you know those. I I kind of knew where those were going to yeah. be at just because, like. I don't know. I knew the personality or whatever. And, yeah. Uh,
0: in those situations, because at this point, or maybe even September 9th, you kind of get rid of, you throw out uncomfortableness, you throw out embarrassment, you kind of throw out fear in a way, because it's like, I have, it, it doesn't matter how how this could be embarrassing. I've got to get this done. Does that make any sense?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, key words, I think there would be like, you got to have humility and then you have to be selfless. Like you can't be worried about how it's going to affect you. The big thing right. is like, you need to make right what you did and clear your side of the street. And a big yeah. part of that is like, even if they're not ready to apologize for parts they played, yeah. then it doesn't matter. Like you just, you let that go and you just tell them like, I'm sorry for what I did. Yeah. And, um,
0: how do you have that mindset? So I, because coming, does twelve step tell you to have that mindset? I mean, you sound so willing, and I think it, so. Maybe that's it. So because you're so willing that you're that you're able to do these things, whereas, you know, for me, when I do twelve step, I get I'm 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 angry in it, <laughs> which is maybe part of the problem. Like I haven't finished right, so. Uh, um.
1: I think I think there's a couple parts to it. I think being willing is a big a big chunk. Mm-hmm. Like that was a big hot word in early sobriety, is like the willingness to actually go through and do everything. Um and even once I got into having a little bit more sobriety and like not being in those first, you know, first 6 steps or so, um I still thought that was a really big part of it. And part of that is because it's uh, Like for me now, it's being willing to take a step back, look at what I'm doing in the moment and go, all right, am I, am I being selfish right now? Am I being like, am I living my life trying to like make progress and help somebody else? Or am I just like getting caught on this roadblock? And then, uh, a big part of that is like in steps 10, 11, and 12, um, once you get there, it's basically like doing the inventory that you did on step four every single day. Like as it happens, you just start like,
0: right. Oh, Get into I, habit of it.
1: I'm, you know, I'm holding this grudge against this person because they just did this to me and it annoyed me or whatever, but I need to, how did I show up to that? Do I yeah. need to let this go? Or do I need to talk to them and just communicate and say, Hey, like this, this wasn't okay. But like, I also did this and you know, we'll, yeah. we'll figure out how to move forward from there. Um, So like taking taking all that, it gets a little bit easier to change your mindset and move into the space where you're like, all right, they did this, but like I'm gonna push that out to the side and communicate, and then um, I'm gonna go forward and say, like, hey, I I did this. This was my fault, and uh, it gets easier to move on from there. I guess just because you're like again, it goes back to the willingness, like the willingness to go into that state of mind and just go. All right, I'm going to push out what they do. Even if they don't apologize to me, I need to make my side right. Yeah. And that kind of just like takes it off your chest. And then if they do apologize, they do. And if they don't, they don't. But like at that point, it's on them. Yeah. You know, right. They're...
0: Then you don't have to worry about it.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, kind of a, a prime example, like um, something that I had to deal with that was one of my first times to like, okay, I know they're not going to apologize and this was after i got sober um one of my old roommates still had some of my stuff yeah. and um at one point i you know i'd gotten a hold of him and was just like hey i want to try and get that stuff back like and at this like um note added in <laughs> whenever i got into sober living um, i did go back and like part of my amends process was i talked to all my roommates i paid off all my debts and like made sure that everything was right from that situation yeah um so anyway i went back and um, talked to talk to him. It was just like, hey, I wanna get some of my stuff. And uh basically the long and short of it was he told me something that was like, oh it's you know it's gone. It's somebody stole it or something or he threw it away or whatever. Yeah. And uh, it was it was one where I was like, I know he's not gonna apologize because um like it just he wasn't ready there. Like yeah. he wasn't ready to like take that step into having a friendship and like the honesty and all of that um and so like i knew that and like i just i texted them and i was like i understand you know if you ever want to reach out talk to me whatever like i'm here but don't worry about it like yeah i understand they're gone and uh
0: but they're probably not right they
1: probably weren't and like that that goes back into, like, when I was living with him, he had some problems with honesty and stuff like that, but yeah, that's kind of a side note. Like, I just, from my history with him, I knew, like, okay, it's probably not gone, but, like, right. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, kind of toss that out, and, like, I told him, like, if you ever want to reach out or, like, you know, try and make a friendship or connection again? Like, I'm here, and yeah. I'll leave it at that, and he never reached out or anything, but I cleared my side of the street, told him, like, hey, it's fine, yeah. you know? Um, you didn't
0: let it bother you anymore
1: right and kind of just pushed it out and said like hey i'm i'm here if you need me or anything like that but other than that like just don't worry about it like yeah. I'm, i don't have to have it um i think getting into that mindset can be really difficult at times um i think it i think it does get easier with practice and i think that's a big part of what the program does is it just and you start getting into like eight and nine step and you're like, okay, I have to go do this. And once you do that for like the first five, six people, yeah. it starts getting easier. And then that's okay. why like 10, 11 and 12, it's a lot easier to say, Oh, well, I need to do this. Cause I did this. That was wrong. And I need to apologize to this person. And it just, it almost happens instantaneously. Like you just think about it as it happens because you're right. kind of got into that habit of, of doing things or trying to set things right, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm glad you said that because that that gives me hope. <laughs> <laughs> I think I I redid my step for you know this. I talked to you about it one time because I was like, I'm mm-hmm. I am not getting it. I am not. It's just not sinking in for me, mainly because I was reflect I wasn't reflecting. I I wasn't reflecting deep enough, and so I wasn't grasping onto it or understanding. Like, okay, no, I. I really need to let this go. I played this role in it, um, mm-hmm. and I still struggle with it. So I'm glad you said that it does get easier with practice because I didn't even think like, yeah, I'm gonna need to continue doing this in life. It's mm-hmm. not like one and done, right?
1: Right. Yeah. It's definitely a, it's definitely a lifestyle, and, um, like I said, I mean, it just it gets easier with time, and like, for anybody that you know is dealing with addiction or sobriety or anything like that. Um, you know, you have your own challenges as you move forward and get further into sobriety and, you know, you, uh, there's new obstacles to overcome, you know, it's kind of, I'm sure there's a ton of cliches you could put in there about like the journey and things (laughs) like, you know, new, new obstacles every day, new mountains to climb. But, uh, as far as like the actual steps and the program, it it only continues to, like, make more sense and get easier to do because you just continue to practice. Mm-hmm. And it's just like anything. The more you practice, the easier it gets. Right. And so, you know, me now, uh, 22 months into sobriety. Um, I'm getting to the point where I only count by years now. <laughs> <Just> starting to. <laughs> uh, 22 months into sobriety and... Um, My mindset is a a lot easier for me to change my mindset from something of like anger or annoyance or anything like that into this mindset of like, all right, why is this happening and how can I just set this straight, make it right and, you know, communicate and be honest Mm -hmm. and just kind of like set things on a path to being better than they are right there in that moment where I'm getting frustrated or annoyed or anything like that yeah um it's not to say that it isn't a challenge sometimes because it is right it's the nature of humans like we feel those emotions for a reason Mm -hmm. (laughs) but um it's definitely a lot easier to take a step back and just kind of like view things as a third party and go okay like both both of us are in the wrong let's right let's both kind of come to terms here
0: i had a question and i don't know if it'll make my question was what do you struggle with now But in talking about 12-step and how it's, like, a continuous project, uh, I'm kind of thinking maybe, like, maybe for me at least, I'm going to continue to struggle with the same issues but just continue to do this 12-step program to get over it. But, like, I don't know if that makes any sense. I guess it's two parts, right? What do you struggle with now, if anything? Is it similar to what you used to struggle with? but you're okay because you do 12-step?
1: Um, so I would say now kind of I, moving forward, like the farther I got into sobriety, um, admittedly it did get harder to um, keep up like the same pace with meetings and stuff like that. Um, that does get, a little bit tougher, um, mm-hmm. especially, like, it's really easy to just get caught up in the rest of life. Yeah. Um, I was in sober living for, you know, a pretty good amount of time. I went from, I think I spent eight months in my first house, and then I moved to being a manager, and I spent, like, six months in another house. Mm-hmm. Um, so, between, between all that time, like, I was still going to three, four meetings a day, and then, like, um, I moved out, moved in with my girlfriend, and, like, um, it got more difficult to go to meetings regularly and yeah you know you're not around it all the time right and then you know i'm can make excuses all i want about like uh, i didn't really like the meetings in my area and stuff but like the reality is i could have gotten down to where i was going to meetings if i didn't like the ones around me you know right um so like that stuff gets a little bit harder and um there's also um there's also kind of like the ever ever present issue of like they call it resting on your laurels but like kind of letting your sobriety slip and just like going back into your old habits and uh like not necessarily so much so that you relapse or anything like that but it can lead to that if like you let your mind just kind of slip into this like the irritable restless and uh, discontent are the three keywords they always use Um, but you get back into the mindset where those are like your primary emotions and then it gets easier to just kind of like start blowing people off and or you know you start exaggerating and lying and stuff and then you kind Mm -hmm. of just like slip down the slope into where you're just like unhappy all the time and um that that is like the thing that i work against now like that's kind of the struggle it's like not so much that i have to overcome those things every day it's just not letting myself slip down into that because it's a lot easier to just kind of like forget about it and kind of slide back into that mindset than it is to just maintain and do what I know I need to. Yeah. Um, so I would say those are like the, the bigger struggles now. Um, and part of that, like, there's different ways to work on that. Um, like right now where I'm at, I'm kind of moving more towards a, um, focusing more on like my spiritual and religious side um i started looking into buddhism as Mm -hmm. like a kind of a way to keep up with my morality and um kind of keep practicing more so and like at least as far as mindfulness and meditation and stuff like that kind of reflecting on how i'm handling things Mm -hmm. um and uh, you know of course meetings stuff like that talking to other people that are dealing with recovery and sobriety and um whether they're first getting into it or whether it's people i've known for a while or whether it's you know people that are got 40 something years you know talking to people that um kind of know know and deal with the same issues Mm -hmm. definitely kind of brings you back into that mindset of like oh wow like you know they have they're, they're doing the same thing like we can kind of keep each other right. going in a sense yeah. um,
0: Another support system another way another way to also um, is I go to a Bible study once a week and I love going uh, for uh, multiple reasons but um, for a while there I was tr- I wanted to deepen my faith and the way that I was going about it was by myself. And it what I it wasn't going anywhere. I wasn't really deepening my faith at all. And so I sat idle for a few years. And then when I went to Bible study with a group of different people, different perspectives, totally got into it.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Like that kind of it reminds me of like when you go to try and pick up a hobby. You can love playing soccer, but if you just got in the in the driveway <laughs> and kick a ball around, it's not going to be nearly as fun mm. as if you're like playing with other people. Right. Um. So yeah, I 100% agree with that. Like being being involved and being around people like that definitely mm-hmm. helps. And uh
0: makes it more exciting too. 100%,
1: yeah. Like it just you know, regardless of how you know introverted or anything yeah. like that anybody is, like I'm I'm a very introverted person like me and me and my girlfriend stay at home most of the time given the option. Yeah. But that said, like Anything that I want to do, it's definitely more fun with people. Like, yeah. when I do want to get out of the house and like, you know, go play a card game or something like that, like it's going to be a lot more fun if I have somebody to do it with. Um, and it's kind of the same idea with sobriety. Like, the more, mm-hmm. the more people I surround myself with that are kind of in the same boat or, you know, yeah. doing dealing with the same issues, fighting the same fight. Like, it definitely it makes it more fun. It makes it more exciting. It makes it where, like, when I want to. If I don't feel like going to a meeting, somebody might hit me up and say, hey, let's go to a meeting. And I'll be like, oh, all right, you know, like, yeah. at least I can go hang out with this person, talk to them. Sure. We'll hit a meeting. Um,
0: there's also that added bonus, which is part of why I wanted to do this podcast. Uh, just knowing that there's other people out there who are going through the same thing. I don't know, just the feeling of not, of not I am not crazy because I have these thoughts. Because if we talk about it and I realize that someone else has these thoughts or these struggles, it just makes you feel a little bit more normal.
1: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I had I had no idea before I got into like, especially when I got to Saber Living, like um, I had no idea how big the recovery community is um, yeah. as far as like HA, CA, all of that. Like there are meetings everywhere. Um that's awesome. There's not only meetings everywhere, but like there's so many places where I didn't realize. Like, it, I mean, within the last week, I was sitting in a restaurant with my boss and um, we're sitting at a table and I overheard a conversation and went, Oh, that person's in recovery. They're talking about their sponsor and yeah. uh, what meeting they went to last night. Like, sure. It's, it's absolutely everywhere. And like so much so that I realized that there's like entire towns that are just fun, like, founded around how big of a recovery community there is there. Um that's cool. So it's it's absolutely huge. And like there's there's always people around. There's always there's always a way to find and get help. Mm -hmm. Um and I guess that's a good good point to plug in. Like if you ever (laughs) need help uh any kind of um anonymous facility is more than happy to help. There's always people in the community that are willing to help. Um, there's, there's some really good places in Austin that will actually like house somebody until they can get them into treatment and like get that all funded and stuff like that. So there's really, really good places here in Austin to help get somebody into treatment. Um, as you know, anybody that is ready to go down that path can get there as long as they reach out. Um. So, yeah, I think that's...
0: I think that's a really good place to <laughs> close it. Cool. Um, Thanks so much for sharing your story. Yeah, absolutely. And if anyone's out there, there's lots of options. So, see you later. See you.